0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. The really interesting thing about creating is just like the things that you learn about yourself.
1: Even though my father would always always say, but Derry, we've already got 60 tea towels. She still had to have a tea towel. This is The Food
2: Podcast, a
1: Village Soundcast Network
2: production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. So
0: quality and the fact that things were going to last was really important. So that has definitely come into my work. Like, I want to make things that are functional, but I also want to make sure that they're beautiful.
2: I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Do you remember that scene in the 1995 BBC version of Pride and Prejudice where Mrs. Bennett and four of her daughters are squished on the sofa in the drawing room at Longbourn? Mrs. Bennett is intent on marrying off Jane to Mr. Bingley, who is sitting and smiling awkwardly in the chair opposite. They sip tea, smile, and make conversation. It's deeply uncomfortable. Now picture this, it's the summer of 1986. The four Cameron sisters and their mother, all dressed in Laura Ashley, are squished on the sofa in the drawing room of the Chief of the Clan Cameron in Lochaber, Scotland. My parents had met the chief, or Lochiel as he is known, and his wife the previous summer at the Clan Cameron Gathering in Nova Scotia. Now, Nova Scotians are more Scottish than the Scottish, they say. I grew up Highland dancing badly, and my father has been playing the bagpipes since he was 14. He plays better than I dance, so was asked to be the chief piper at the Clan Gathering. His skills got us an invite to their home the following summer when we would be in England and Scotland on a family trip. Now picture the Griswolds from the movie European Vacation. That was us. We even got stuck on a roundabout in London, Griswold style. Big Ben, Houses of Parliament. Big Ben, Houses of Parliament. Anyway, we eventually got off that roundabout and made it to Scotland where we were invited for tea but we were served orange squash instead. Lady Cameron made polite conversation, but we were clearly the millionth Cameron family to sit on this sofa. My mother wasn't trying to marry us off to a distant cousin, but we were interested in looking at family photographs placed throughout the room. Their granddaughter was a flower girl at Princess Diana's wedding. I could see Diana smiling at me from the mantle, but instead we sat wedged together sipping a sweet orange drink it was deeply uncomfortable as we were leaving luckiel offered us a tea towel featuring the cameron crest five arrows wrapped in a thick leather belt brown and red not perfect for our kitchen's color scheme but a memory nonetheless my parents thanked them both but then came our hosts final words Thank you for coming, and that will be five pounds for the tea towel, please. Today on the Food Podcast, we look at tea towels as a portal into stories. We'll chat with Alyssa Clute, textile artist and owner of Kipos, a brand specializing in items for the home, and learn the stories behind her process and designs. My mother-in-law, Rose Wilson, also pops in with her inherited tea towel collection, each with its own story. All of this, today, on The Food Podcast. There's a tea towel hanging on the oven door at my mother-in-law Rose's house. It's a white linen tea towel featuring an illustration of a black cat peering over the edge of a stone wall, and there's a broken flower pot below that's clearly just been pushed over. When not in use, that tea towel lives in a drawer with all her other linen tea towels she has inherited from her mother in England.
1: Well, my mother was not really a collector of souvenirs but her one weak point was tea towels and everywhere she and my father went she would disappear into the gift shop and buy another tea towel even though my father would always say but Derry we've already got 60 tea towels she still had to have a tea towel so when My father died and I had to sell the house in England. Here opening up a drawer was this enormous cache of tea towels spanning about 30 or 40 years, I would say. As I was shipping things home, I couldn't possibly ship them all and I didn't actually really need another tea towel but I did select a select pile just for memory's sake.
2: Memories spill out when Rose opens up this drawer. It's a portal to the past, like so many things in her kitchen. The big, heavy scissors in the neighbouring drawer. One of the few items she packed in a steamer trunk, along with sheet music and her stamp collection, when she moved to Canada at the age of 19. Those were her thigh-high boots and miniskirt days. Nova Scotia didn't know what hit it when she arrived in 1963. Anyway, the black cat tea towel. It's not the only black cat tea towel in there. Rose has about five in the drawer, tucked amongst the rest of the collection.
1: I think the reason that my mother loved tea towels with black cats in them was because just before I left home, after I met the love of my life in England, persuaded me to move to Canada, I was walking down our local high street And there was a garage, and in front of the garage was a cage with three or four black kittens in it. We hadn't had a pet for years and years and years, not since our rather nasty Pekingese dog. Anyway, one day walking down, there was only one black kitten left, so I just couldn't resist So on my way home from work, I bought that black kitten. My parents, I was still living with them, but they happened to be away. But they were coming back in two days' time. And I suddenly realized what I had done, that really this cat was not going to be mine because I was leaving. I had bought my parents a present of a black cat. I took fright and I moved the cat over to my boyfriend's apartment to give myself time to tell my parents that I would bought them a leaving present. I did pluck up courage to tell them, and needless to say, they were not happy, but there was no return policy, so I collected the cat, and I think promptly left a few days later. But to be honest, my parents loved that cat, and they call that cat Poppy. And Poppy lived on fresh rabbit, which my mother bought at the local market every week and carefully stewed and scooped off the jelly, which the cat had as a special treat. And they loved that cat, so I probably did them a good turn. But from then on in, my mother, every time she saw a black cat, tea towel, she had to have it.
2: After a good look at the fine print in the corner of this collection, we found the name Sue Butcher, the designer of those towels. I couldn't find any information about her online, but Rose says she also made things like cards and wrapping paper. We don't know why she was so enamored by black cats, and we'll probably never know. But when those tea towels entered the house, the story isn't about Sue Butcher's cat anymore. It's about Rose's adopted cat. The story morphs and becomes something to think about as we dry dishes. Somehow, a mundane chore becomes more interesting, more reflective. There's a tea towel hanging from the oven door in my kitchen. It's grey with white triangular shapes across it. Little white dots about the size of a fingerprint are scattered behind the black shapes. Are they mountains? Are the white dots snow? I don't know, but it makes me happy, and it feels familiar. Like Rose's mother, when I saw it, I had to have it. It's designed by Alyssa Clute of Keep House, a brand that produces a range of home goods that center around hospitality and gathering around the table. Alyssa is easier to find than Sue Butcher. She lives here in Nova Scotia. I spot her work all the time, online, at local markets, in my sister Sally's kitchen. Recently, Alyssa agreed to share her story with me, her process, and the secrets behind her designs, seeds of which were planted back in Ontario, where she grew up. Alyssa says she comes not necessarily from a culinary family, but from a very hospitable one. Her parents were immigrants from the Netherlands and raised her and her siblings in a house where they often entertained. Alyssa's job was to arrange the hors d'oeuvres on serving trays at these parties. She loved that job. So the idea of Keep house is not so much about keeping a home clean and tidy, but more about making it warm and inviting, like her home always was. She studied art at Sheridan College in Ontario, and she didn't always know that textiles would be her passion, her thing until she entered the textile studio.
0: As soon as I entered, it just like slapped me in the face. And it was like, this is a job, like you can design things for fabric. And just from then I've just, yeah, I I love it. I wish my purpose
2: in life slapped me in the face when I was in university. I think it was more like tiny touches until I finally settled on this path. I wonder what it was about that textile studio that hit her with such a confident force.
0: There's something about textiles, the emphasis is so much on color and pattern, which to me is like a really playful thing because what patterns are always trying to do is trying to like move your eye around. Yeah, it's just like super enjoyable. And I think it's in a lot of ways really lighthearted. And they're also the things that end up bringing warmth to a home. If you took all of the textiles out of a home, it wouldn't be the nicest place to be.
2: Alyssa's work brings warmth and story into the home. But the story, she says, isn't always obvious at first. You have to experiment and play and slide away from perfection and get in the zone.
0: I think part of the process that I'm using as of late, which is I always usually cut my patterns out of paper or use something that kind of gets my head out of things. So I think that if I'm directly drawing onto paper, like say I'm drawing a flower, I'll get really caught up in how perfect I can make it. So I think my brain wants to go to doing a perfect job, but that's not where I think the joy of making lives. And so I think I'm always trying to find ways to get myself out of that. If I'm cutting that flower out of paper, I guess I could go super realistic in it, but for some reason that helps me disconnect from that. And that helps me loosen up and just try and get kind of like the essence of what I'm trying to bring across. And recently, what I've started to do to kind of take it a step further is to take my paper and texture it somehow, whether it's taking ink and kind of like dry brushing a whole page or I've been going like super grade school and putting my paper on my cement floor in my studio and then like rubbing to get textures. And then I'll I'll cut out from there to kind of add another layer, but still giving myself that looseness. So what about my tea towel with the black triangles and white dots? How did that come about? Really, that's just me playing with shapes, in the start at least. I also really like it when things fit into each other. So like that one kind of triangle shape fitting into that other shape, that's really jammy to me. Another way that sometimes things work for me is I'll cut up a bunch of shapes that for some reason I'm interested in and I'll start laying them out. I'm cutting out these shapes and then arranging them and seeing what I see in it. So in that particular one, I was playing around with it. And in some ways, it was reminding me of mountains. But then I added this other layer of those little white dots in the background. And I'm like, oh, these are both. This is my home.
2: Home, Nova Scotia. Alyssa came here to study textiles at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, or NASCAD for short. Then she decided to stay, making a home here and starting a business here. That's so interesting to me, because in all the items that she designs for Keep House, from linens to pillows
0: to serving trays, they all speak to a sense of place. I live on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, so that's about 40 minutes outside of Halifax. I feel like I'm kind of in this place where I'm out of town and I feel a bit disconnected, but it's also easy to get into town and feel like I'm a part of things again. And then from my house, there's basically a main road. And then after that, it's pretty much the beach and then the Atlantic Ocean. So we have a pretty wide view of the ocean. Growing up in Ontario, I guess my only reference for a body of water was Lake Ontario, which is also a very big body of water. And I guess when you're looking out on it, it can maybe seem the same scale. Cause from my house, I can't really see past the horizon. The thing that is different about it is how moody the ocean is. So especially coming into this time of year, coming into the winter, the ocean has a totally different temperament than it does on like a nice summer day. It can go from being something that's really warm and friendly and that you want to jump into, to something that you're in awe of because it's just so powerful. So in that way, I think living near the ocean is a very humbling thing. I think most people around here have a really admirable respect for the ocean. I visited Alyssa's studio in Seaforth,
2: just up the coast from Dartmouth. The ocean is on the right, houses on the left, and it's beautiful. Alyssa's studio is tucked behind her house, and that salty, crisp, fresh air is everywhere. The Atlantic Ocean wraps around Nova Scotia almost completely, but the mood varies on different shores. The beaches vary, the people, the tone, the economics, the light. The differences can be subtle, but they are there. And like anything, it takes
0: time to really understand it. I think there's a like an understated beauty to the Eastern Shore and maybe to a lot of the Maritimes coastline. I think you kind of have to spend more time with it, which I'm OK with spending that time to kind of enjoy it. I don't think it slaps you on the face necessarily.
2: Alyssa is a beachcomber, and sometimes she collects objects that work their way into her designs. But like the triangles, the ideas morph and twist and turn.
0: One thing that I always come home with is wish rocks. So like little rocks that have a white line running around them that's fully connected all the way around the rock. So every time I'm walking, I'm always looking for wish rocks and I have a ledge in my home that's just like filled with piles of these rocks. I also try and find rocks that look like maybe modern paintings. <laughs> I definitely have a, an aesthetic to my rock picking. Sometimes I give them away to people. I had one at one point that I had kept in my pocket And I had another friend who had also had one and kept it in her pocket and she would hold on to it in her pocket to kind of like relieve something that was going on in her life at that time. It was kind of like a meditative practice for her to like have this rock and to just be having it in her hand until, you know, the texture of the rock starts to change or the oils from your hands like transfer onto it. So it starts to get like really slick and smooth.
2: These rocks, they worked their way into her design.
0: But of course they morphed
2: into something else in the process.
0: The pattern that I have that's called drops, that started off as rocks. So they're kind of like these teardrop shapes. And there was another piece that was attached to all of those that actually had the wishtrock line in the middle. In the process, it just ended up being this one part of these groups that I had.
2: And that's the process. Starting with one thing and seeing where it goes
0: and being open to that. The really interesting thing about creating is just like the things that you learn about yourself. My need for things to be perfect and my fear of failure has all come out for me in the creative process. When I'm making something and I have this idea in my head and I'm kind of already envisioning it and it's not coming out, that's when the conversation with myself starts. It's kind of like I'm taking myself to therapy or something and being like okay like this was what your expectation of what this was going to be and that's not where it's going so let's let it go and that's where things open up and I think that's when things start to get fun it can be really hard to get myself there to get myself to like let go of those expectations and to just start playing but I know that that's where I need to go.
2: Isn't that just like cooking where we see an image in a cookbook and we have an idea and we want the finished product to be exactly the same But our kitchens are different, our ingredients are different, we're different. So the food can never be exactly the same, and that's the best part, making something ours. There's so much behind a recipe, a design, behind a tea towel. Speaking of which, further down Rose's pile is a tea towel that Rose has always called the propaganda tea towel. Did I mention that Rose's maiden name is blunt? She says it like it is. But she does drive the point home. Who knew that this little piece of beauty hanging from a handle in the kitchen could hold so much meaning?
1: The next tea towel out of the drawer is one of those lovely Victorian, idealistic English garden with hollyhocks and the most charming that cottage that looks in pristine condition and a lovely white picket fence with... Think a cat sitting on the top of it, you think, oh, this is the quintessential British landscape. But really, I was led to believe that these were printed or there were all kinds of different pictures of these idealistic scenarios. But really, it was to whitewash the fact that most of the people who lived in these little cottages which didn't look as pristine as they were portrayed in pictures were actually not doing too well they were probably very very hungry had a hard job just uh, surviving life but that was the victorian ideal you know it was made to believe that everything was wonderful and the sun always shone everybody was happy and everybody had just the right amount of food, etc., But it's really quite <laughs> not true. And the name on the Tita says Country Cottage. And again, it was purchased as a national trans property. So I was like that one because it was kind of like that story of things not being
0: as they were portrayed. Alyssa has something to say about this. A lot of things have been used for propaganda flour sack tea towels. It's from like the 1920s to like, maybe not past World War II, but at least up till World War II. Thrifty homemakers would take the fabric that was used to package flour and also sugar, I think. And they would use that to make their tea towels and maybe other things for the home as well. Somehow also some kind of political slogans were being embroidered into those. And I don't know if there was embroidered slogans already printed onto them and then they were embroidering around them. But yeah, definitely, tea towels have been used as a vehicle to get messages out. I'd had a teacher at NASCAD who had looked at the images that were put on them throughout a certain period of time, I think it was around the Vietnam War, and looking at how things in the country politically were so unstable. But then, yeah, again, these idyllic images of homes and forests and slogans like, home is where the heart is, and very kind of like stable images came about.
2: After Alyssa screen prints her towels, they are pressed, then wrapped in a thin paper collar and piled into stacks. I saw these stacks when I visited her studio. I literally stopped and smiled when I saw them. The way my dad stops to admire a tidy woodpile in a stranger's yard. There's something so soothing about order. This is what makes me feel stable.
0: I love stacks of things. That might be my favorite part of my job, when I make something and then there's a stack of it.
2: (laughs) Sometimes my tea towels hanging on the oven door aren't particularly special. They don't have designs or a calendar or a propaganda-fueled message. They're just functional. It's real life around here. But my Keep House tea towel with sailboat triangles and snow, that's what I'm featuring today. And when I look at it, I can hear my mother's voice from my childhood. Don't dry your hands on that tea towel. That one is for dishes. The other one, that's for hands. Well, this tea towel has been touched by dishes and hands. The lines were blurred long ago. Function and beauty. Alyssa's tea towels are so special. They're frameable, but it's too late for that. This one is in full rotation.
0: Lots of people do tell me that they just frame it or they're never going to use it. And part of my heart does kind of break. I think part of me is like, no, like you deserve to use this thing. Like it's a beautiful thing and it deserves to be part of your life. Adding beauty to your life, deserving beauty.
2: When the English artist and designer William Morris wrote that everything in our home should be beautiful and functional, I know he was talking about the tea towel. We deserve it. But if you're not ready to fully use your new, perfectly pressed and folded
0: tea towel, that is okay. You can follow Alyssa's system. My personal practice when I get a new tea towel is to put it in a place where it's not going to be used for a little while. In my kitchen, there's like one of my roller towels next to the stove. And then on the stove, there's like the tea towels that are safe for my husband to use. We have an island that has another tea towel bar so the new nice tea towels one that one and then slowly over time they'll get rotated into like more heavy use there's a preciousness about buying something that looks really pretty and you don't think that it should do the job that it's meant to do i guess i think it's just about enjoying things just having some nice things around they don't have to be expensive but i think it should be something that that you like to look at I just think it makes these little tasks in her life a little more rich. I think it all goes back to Alyssa's Dutch
2: parents. I remember visiting Amsterdam at Christmas one year and peering into houses at dusk. You know that perfect time of day before people draw their curtains so you can see right in. And every home seems so uniformly beautiful. Alyssa says in her Dutch-influenced home, there was beauty, but also a strong focus on quality and function.
0: I think Dutch people are kind of known for being, like, very functional people. So quality and the fact that things were going to last was really important. So that has definitely come into my work. Like, I want to make things that are functional, but I also want to make sure that they're beautiful.
2: Yes, we deserve it. And naturally, that episode of Parks and Recreation comes to mind. Treat yourself. Mimosas.
1: Treat yourself. Fine leather goods.
2: Treat yourself. Treat yo-self. And for those of you worried about tea towels falling to the floor, or worse, being whipped by a cheeky person who is supposed to be drying the dishes, I know you know that move. Never fear. This is where the circular tea towel comes in handy. The fabric is sewn at the ends and hangs from a fixed
0: bar. It's a thing of beauty. And it's practical. When I've been to the Netherlands, on a couple occasions I've visited some like distant relatives in the country. And they definitely had those in their homes. And then again, when I moved out to the eastern shore here in Nova Scotia, there's a settlement. A little town, I should say, that is mostly made up of Acadians. So there's a lot of old Acadian homes around. Homes that are like over 100, definitely years old. They would have the bars and towels already in their homes. Even now, like, if you were to buy a home in West Chesed Cook here, you may walk into a kitchen or a bathroom and the bar is still there. I just thought it was such a great thing, if for nothing else than that the towel doesn't end up on the floor.
2: <laughs> My sister has one of Alyssa's roller tea towels in her kitchen, fixed to the wall. It's a graphic pop of colour in her 1950s kitchen its beauty and function, and a long way from that Cameron family crest tea towel that we were given, or sold, I should say, at the chief of the clan Cameron's house way back when. That one is in a drawer in my parents' house, waiting to be opened, waiting to fill the room with memories of Cameron family adventures, of sitting squished on a sofa just like the Bennetts, Getting stuck in a roundabout like the Griswolds, or sipping on a lowly glass of orange squash, but most of all, feeling connected to our distant cousin by marriage, Princess Diana.
1: And the last one in the pile is a reproduction of what probably, again, was an Edwardian print, and it was an advertisement.
2: Thanks to Alyssa Clute of Keep House for bringing function and beauty together. You can find her work at keephouse.ca. And thanks to Rose Wilson for keeping all those memories tucked in her drawers ready and waiting to be opened. So I'm curious, what podcasts are you listening to? And where do you listen to them? Driving? While folding laundry? Or in the kitchen? I've been cooking alongside Sunday Night Dinner, a podcast that celebrates the last meal of the weekend with guests like Chef Jamie Kennedy, Laura Wright of The First Mess, and food stylist Eshin Mott. I love the sounds of the kitchen and the stories, of course. So tell me. Tell me what you're listening to and where you listen. On Twitter at The Food Podcast or on Instagram at Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Or you can reach me at lindseycameronwilson.ca. And please take a second to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It's hugely helpful and seriously makes me feel as soothed as a stack of tea towels. Jen Grant, a big hug to you for our theme song. We love it. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.